Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, June 22nd. I'm Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we talk with a lobbyist tasked with advancing pro-LGBTQ legislation in Mississippi. Then, one Gulf Coast scientist argues the Mississippi River needs a national lab. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. June is Pride Month in the U.S. It's a time to reflect not only on the ongoing social battle for LGBTQ equality, but also the legislative battles. That's according to Rob Hill, who's Mississippi State Director for the Human Rights Campaign. He speaks with MPB's Kobe Vance. This is a, an important time of the year. Obviously, this is you know federally rec- recognized as uh, June is federally recognized as Pride Month. Uh, it, it means a lot for LGBTQ people to be able to celebrate who they are, uh, because we, we live still in a country where we are being attacked by uh, legislative folks all around the uh, the country. So, so it's important uh, for a community that still does not have full protections, um, that is still being attacked physically and legislatively, to be able to come together and, and celebrate who we are. As, as people and how much we contribute um, to, to our country and the world. Looking back, where has Mississippi come in the past few decades when it comes to the rights of LGBTQ plus people? Well, we've actually made some, uh, we've had some, uh, some bad things happen and we've had some, uh, some good things happen. Um, we, you know, in the last, we, you know, as a result of any kind of progress that we've made in the country, uh, very often we see an onslaught of, of, of legislation targeting or LGBTQ plus people or, or trying to further disenfranchise. So, you know, in, in 2016, after the Obergefell decision that made marriage equality the law of the land, we saw in Mississippi uh, legislation, HB 1523, uh, which was intended to, um, to, you know, among other things, to allow county clerks to be able to deny a marriage license to a same-sex couple. In, in 2020, 21, I believe, a 21 session, we saw the same thing happen as a result of the 2020 Bostock decision at the Supreme Court. 
that um, made discrimination in the workplace uh, illegal. So we've seen, you know, other efforts to, again, try to uh, further dis disenfranchise the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, but we have seen some good things in, in Mississippi at the state level. We've had bipartisan support um, and bipartisan uh, sponsors for hate crime legislation that would add sexual orientation and gender identity and disability to our state hate crime law. And we've seen uh, five cities over the past uh, seven years pass uh, fully inclusive, comprehensive non-discrimination ordinances, which uh, prohibit discrimination in the workplace, housing, and in places of public accommodation. So, so while we've had some struggles, we've uh, had, some, had some successes as well. Some of the most recent legal battles that have been seen, especially here in Mississippi, have to do with uh, trans Mississippians, and especially those in young that are younger and are in uh, athletics. I remember in the 2021 legislative session, we saw bills that came out that prevented young uh, trans youth from participating in women's sports in schools. Yeah, What are some of the major things that are continuing to happen in Mississippi that are affecting LGBTQ plus people? Well, the... Uh... The anti-trans athlete bill was a was a solution looking for a problem that does not exist. And it was, you know, again, it was based on animus and fear uh, of trans people. And and while it targeted trans youth, it was intended to uh, it, it was targeting the whole of the trans of the, of the trans community and the LGBTQ plus uh, community. Uh, we have seen consistently over the last three years um, legislation that has been uh, introduced to, to uh, prohibit and even criminalize uh, care uh, for trans minors, which, you know, the, the reality is that any kind of care to trans minors is is very limited uh, until someone is uh, 18 or older. Uh, but we have we've been able to um, kill that bill each time. But but what but we know that we're going to deal with this again. And, and we've seen just this year, we've seen, um, you know, we're tracking uh, around 350 anti-LGBTQ bills, the bulk of those being bills that their bathroom bills or anti-trans athlete bills or 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 uh, target or, or criminalize trans care to minors. So while those have passed, we've also been able to kill a lot of those as well in legis legislatures. Uh, but we know that, again, while we, we have legislators in Mississippi that consistently um, uh, introduce bad legislation, harmful legislation, um, and, and again, that legislation is not only harmful from a policy perspective, it also fuels the kind of animus that leads to the violence very often. And so these kind of bills can have devastating effects, even those that, that, that don't, don't pass. The fact that people are still attempting it, you know, definitely legitimizes some of the, the hateful things that go on for the hateful people. What do you think could be done uh, on the other on the inverse of that, trying to find bills that could improve the lives of trans or any member of the LGBTQ plus community here in Mississippi? Well, you know, I think we should pass uh, uh, we, we should pass a hate crime bill, an updated hate crime bill that, um, you know, includes gender identity and sexual orientation in our in our state hate crime law. You know, and that's important because consistently every year. Trans people are, are targeted and have been murdered in Mississippi, and a lot of and all of those have been trans people of color, mostly trans black women, and, and so a lot of those crimes, a lot of those murders have been unsolved, but they've also not been treated as hate crimes because we don't have a state hate crime law. So you know that can have a positive effect uh, for the for the trans community. And what we need to do is it also the state needs to uh, have a state uh, a civil rights bill. 
that is comprehensive of all those all of those included in the 1964 Civil Rights Act, but also sexual orientation and gender identity uh, to make it explicit that uh, that LGBT, LGBTQ plus people of any everybody should never experience discrimination in any form. That's a very positive thing that they could do. It's been introduced every year uh, and for the past uh, four or five years, but it, it's not made it out of committee. With everything that's happened to the LGBTQ plus uh, community here in Mississippi, why do you think it's important that they take time to celebrate Pride Month? Again, you know, we've just seen so much, um, uh, so many attacks this uh, this year, um, you know, on LGBTQ people. And it's certainly on LGBTQ, oh, excuse me, on trans youth. Um, and so, you know, because of that. You know, we need to take time to just to, to celebrate who we are when we have uh, people who are supposed to be there to to protect us and, and make us feel safe um, doing, you know, doing the exact opposite. So it's important to come together, you know, because, you know, LGBTQ people contribute so much to uh, to our state, so much to our culture, so much to to our, our world. And yet we still don't have the same protections as everybody everybody else has in, in our country. So it's important to, to stop and and. And think about the contributions, celebrate that, and uh, and and also be there for one another as a community that it is still you know continues to be under attack. Stepping outside of the legislature, I wanted to ask, what do you think could be done to reduce biases towards uh, the LGBTQ plus community in Mississippi uh, in the in the community? One of the things I consistently hear from people uh, when I when I speak at a, a in a community around the state is this desire to, to help. What can I do? And, and I always say to folks, you know, you can you can be an ally. You, they're not an LGBTQ plus uh, person generally. And, and so I say it's just as important for you to come out as an ally, uh, whether that's, it, it, you know, at the workplace, whether that's at church, whether that's at, you know, in the grocery store, to make sure that people, uh, you know, make sure that, 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 that you let people know that when you hear something that is transphobic or homophobic, that, that you don't agree with it, it's wrong, and that you that you have loved ones and friends and coworkers who are LGBTQ plus. Uh, you know, we need folks to be able to stand up and and, and you know and be that um, be that advocate wherever they are, uh, not just at the legislature, but again um, wherever you are in the world. Um, because when people tell their stories as LGBTQ plus people or as uh, as an ally, it can it's the number one way that changes hearts and minds around our issues. Rob Hill is the Mississippi State Director for the Human Rights Campaign. Rob, thank you for talking with us today. It's good to be with you, Kobe. Coming up, one Gulf Coast scientist argues the Mississippi River needs a national lab. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Can a river be too big to fail? According to John Sabo, the answer is yes. Sabo is the director of the Bywater Institute at Tulane University. He writes in a recent piece in Forbes that the Mississippi River is simply too critical to receive anything less than the full attention of the scientific community. Sabo speaks with Mississippi Edition producer Rob Lane. If you think about the Mississippi, it's it's um, 
it's the big kahuna of all rivers in North America. Um, it sources water from over 30 states in the United States and two provinces from Canada. Um, it's the it's the pathway of commerce from the Gulf of Mexico and from the global economy into the heartland of the United States, and also hosts likely the supply chain for um, for a great majority of the businesses in the United States, including um, food and agriculture. Now, I'm curious about that. I think some people may hear that description and think that it sounds like something out of a Mark Twain novel. You know, I think some people hold the impression that understanding the Mississippi as a major economic engine is somewhat outdated. Can you clear that up a little? I mean, I think the core place um, that the core thing that we need to remember is that great majority of of ag happens in the heartland and and so our food system is is based in in the heartland and and that's um part and parcel with with some of the issues that we have in in the mississippi river and in particular with the dead zone in the gulf and and but it's vital to our economy to have that whole host of of big companies depend on that supply chain to develop their products um and and um, outside of, um, and you know, many, many years later, past Mark Twain, um, it's now the major thoroughfare for global goods into the heartland. And so, can you describe, as you see them, sort of the host of threats that are simultaneously descending upon, and in some cases, are already profoundly affecting the river? Yeah. Well, we have eutrophication in in nearshore waters in the Gulf of Mexico that leads to a dead zone. That this year is going to be above average, even though it's predicted to be to be average, and and that dead zone has um, has significant consequences on nearshore fisheries um, and and hence the economy of of many of of Gulf states uh, that depend on that fishery, not just for food production but also for um, for sports fishing. And so it sounds like you're describing a river that is on some level poisonous and could be becoming more so? Well, let's not use the word poison. Let's use the word dysfunctional. You know, it serves many purposes. And I think uh, when we think about um, the, the consequences of, of harnessing the river at scale, we have to think about it systemically and systematically. And I think that's one thing that we're not doing very well. We're, we're measuring it. We know how to source attribution of, of some of the challenges but we don't know how to fix it. And, and that's very much what a national lab would do is, is pilot those interventions that need to be taken in order and made in order to, to write the course, in order to get the river back to um, a functional river and coastline um, without having significant impacts on, on what is the central nervous system of, of commerce, I think, in the United States. So you mentioned there your big idea to sort of fix the Mississippi is to establish a national lab to study it. What would that look like? Well, we have a model for it, right? We have um, the national labs, uh, which are funded by the Department of Energy, um, and they were funded at a time when we needed solutions to both energy and and for the military, um, and they provided those solutions. And the reason they provide those solutions is because they're built at a scale that no other entity in the United States can handle in terms of um, R&D funding and in terms of 
use-inspired and, and applied R&D funding that's meant to enhance national security and, and national well-being. And so I think it's at that scale that we need to act. And the reason why the Mississippi is a great place to start is because it it derives water from you know three-fifths of the states of the United States. So it represents um, a majority and also the core, the heartland. The challenges, like I think there are many more than just eutrophication, right? There's um, there's also coastal land loss and erosion. There's channelization, which is really important for shipping, but has its impacts on on lateral habitats and green infrastructure that could also help with flood control. And then there's the flood side of of the issue, which we're we're seeing in in uh, Yellowstone right now, which is a tributary to the Mississippi. These are all issues that that the Mississippi has in common, and and hence it's uh, it's an organizing team uh, for collaboration and and for a national lab to act on. Do you see us as having the technology, the ability to fix these problems and what we really need is sort of a, a logistical infrastructure to implement them? Or do you see a need to really develop highly original techniques, technologies to address this? I do think that there are is likely a role in technology. I don't think that technology is going to be the silver bullet for this. I think a lot of it is um, is thinking outside the box, um, thinking about combining built and natural infrastructure and rebuilding natural infrastructure in ways um, that benefit communities and economies, but also solve, you know help us address some of these challenges simultaneously. Um, the built-in and natural piece um, is is super important, and I think one thing that we don't know from a lot of um, very good scholarship and also very good boots on the ground activity work by by agencies and by NGOs and by community river organizations is what the ideal sets of interventions are and how much they work. You know, we don't have good data on on what is you know, what are the best sets of, of natural infrastructure applications that could help remediate uh, some of, of these long-term issues in the Mississippi? And I think that's the first step. And I don't think that it requires as much technology as it does um, stakeholdering um, and, and just courage to, to take some chances to see which of these interventions work the best um, and then implement them at scale. Can you help us understand a little bit, when we think about a river, we may think about literally the river, right? You know, sort of the the heart of the Mississippi as it cuts through the United States. But a river is a lot more than just that, right? Especially a river like the Mississippi. Right. I think oh, that's a great question. And I think, you know, when we, like you said, when we think about a river, we think about the water and the services that that water provides. But, but the landscape, the watershed that surrounds that river is really... Uh, the pulse and the heartbeat of that river and anything that you do on that landscape has consequences next door in the river channel. And those consequences can then then be propagated downstream as far as in the case of the Mississippi, the Gulf. And so, you know, what we have to do, I think in order to, to make a healthier river is think about that landscape and, and, and look at the portfolio of, of natural assets that we have there and built assets that we have there. Think about what's working. Think about what's not working. Where it's not working, um, we need to try things. We need to 
rebuild nature, but not necessarily for nature's sake, for the or, or for the sake of that that particular parcel, but 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 for the sake of the entire system. Um, and I think it's really this this idea of building nature um, rather than restoring it, building it so it has function that serves both uh, people, communities, and economies, but also nature is is core uh, to the idea of, of what a national lab would do in the Mississippi River. Because the Gulf Coast is downstream from everything on the Mississippi River, and because the economies of the Gulf Coast are so reliant on the river, do you see those states as being particularly vulnerable as some of these trends that you've seen with the river continue? Oh, for sure. We know that already. I mean, the, the you know, the newest NOAA forecasts of the, the dead zone are you know, proof in the pudding. You, you can measure that. You can measure the impact on coastal fisheries, on coastal economies. Um, but I think, you know, more broadly, um, this isn't just a problem for, for Gulf Coast states. It's a, it's a problem that, that affects um, the utility of the river um, for, for people in states much more distant in the headwaters all the way through the, the heartland. Um, and also affects our concept of nature. And I think, you know, combining these interventions, which I'm calling them, of natural infrastructure in ways that enhance not just the function of the river, but our portfolio of nature, um, and sort of modifying our concept of, of what nature means to us, I think is also important. Is there a time element here? Do you see there being kind of a concrete point at which it would be, quote unquote, too late to meaningfully change the course that the river's on? Oh, that's a great question. I'm, I'm 50, and I know we can't wait 20 more years because my career will be done by then. Um, but, but more broadly, I think, you know, we've been waiting and pointing fingers and saying, yeah, we know the problem, but we don't know the solution. And, and, and I would answer this question by saying, if we just wait around for the solution, we're not going to be anywhere in 20 years. If we start trying things, we will. John Sabo is the director of the Bywater Institute at Tulane University in New Orleans. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio. Coming up at 9, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. Join us tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. And drink plenty of water. Try and stay cool. 